You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson, and today... Once again, we're talking with Tony Peterson, and this is, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this, uh, and I'm just going to, I'm going to say it with a question. Are you good enough to consistently kill big bucks? What is missing from the big buck equation, right? Is it the fact that big bucks don't live in your area? Um, are you not that good of a hunter? Sometimes that is uh, a a hard pill to swallow, so to speak. Um, and so today we talk with Tony Peterson about how he feels and how I feel about you know people who are unsuccessful trying to kill big bucks, whether it's every year or their first big buck. And uh, we kind of we kind of get into the weeds here and. I think this is a really good episode because I had to go, I definitely had to go through this, this, this phase where I thought I was doing everything right. Right. Um, Tony talks about the academics, right? Deer hunting is more than just academics. So I knew that I needed to be downwind of a bedding area, let's say, or my access routes had to be perfect or this and that. Right. But knowing something and actually having the experience and knowing how to implement it are two completely different things. And that is what this, that is what this podcast is about. So we have fun, uh, like we always do. Uh, the, these are, these are meant to get us uncomfortable. These podcasts are meant to get us uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable or maybe even you're upset at yourself or even at me or Tony, it, what it what it's designed to do is to trigger something within you to say, hey, I need to try something different. If I haven't been successful doing it a certain way, I need to try something different. And that's the goal, right? It is to find what works for you, implement that, and then find the success that you want, right? Whether that's a big buck or a full freezer or or your first buck or whatever it is. You know, I talk about that all the time. If this is your first Nine Finger Chronicles episode that you've ever listened to, man, I I, uh, take this episode with a grain of salt, right? This is not to go over your head. I I hope that everybody keeps an open mind and open ears on this episode because uh, Tony spits some knowledge and uh, I think it's it's, uh, knowledge that we all need to hear. So 
that's what today's episode is about. Uh, I'm going to run through the the partners here real quick. If you're looking for a saddle, you need to go check out Tethered. Uh, Tethered has a a lineup of you know different size saddles. They have climbing sticks. They have different sized platforms. They have all the t- uh, the saddle hunting accessories. So if you're looking to take your next step in that mobile game, get away from tree stands, or maybe just add a saddle into your arsenal of how you approach deer mobile deer hunting definitely need to go check out tethered all right wasp archery in my opinion one of the best built and i don't know man like i feel confident right let's not kid ourselves you put uh, any broadhead fixed blade or mechanical and they open up and they do exactly what they're supposed to do through the lungs of a whitetail more than likely that animal's going to die but not every deer comes in broadside not every deer is you know standing there waiting for you to double lung them why i like wasp is because i have the confidence in him and on the bad shots right where the where you don't have the double lung you get the arrow in there it does a lot of damage because that's what they're designed to do and there's big heavy blood trails and man that's what that's what you want you want the most destruction and uh, that's why i love working with wasp and and because the people who design them have the best material and they're passionate about what they do so if you're looking for an awesome fixed blade or a mechanical go check out wasparchery.com discount code for 20 percent off nfc20 and hunt stand okay so what, what did i do this weekend I just got access to a new farm. And so I have been in scout mode right now. Okay. Uh, I've been on hunt stand scrolling and scrolling and zooming in and zooming out and trying to pick apart this, uh, um, pick apart these, I don't know, the, the, everything I see on satellite imagery on topo, leave a little mark. So then when I go out there and actually start to scout, I know where I want to look. I know I need to cover these bases. And then anything else I find out there, I definitely uh, leave a, you know leave a pin drop there as well. So it's just journaling and documenting everything that I find. And what's that do? It just helps you in the long run. When it's time to hunt, you know where you need to go. So and, and if you want to find out more information about HuntStand, go visit HuntStand.com. Tons of great functionality. Uh, on there and uh, just go to their website and and read up on all of that and then lastly vortex optics man love the people that work there awesome optics bar none and then whether you're looking for a spotting scope a rifle scope a red dot binoculars range finders they have it all and it's it's backed by their vip warranty which is you break it or damage it or it doesn't work or something's wrong with it all you have to do is send it in they will fix it and send it right back to you so a huge shout out to vortex and all the people that work there vortexoptics.com there's the commercials and uh without further ado let's get into another awesome bs session really what what this is and maybe it's a come to jesus moment with tony peterson three two one tony peterson how the hell are you man i'm tired buddy but i'm i'm feeling all right tired on a monday morning what what possibly could you be tired about uh i spent the last five days uh 
getting my ass kicked on the Mississippi River down in in your world a little bit down by uh, Lansing. Yeah, and fished a couple tournaments and did not do very well. And I uh, got up real early and I spent long days on the water trying to find something, and it just did not go my way. Yeah, I'll tell you this, my I've told this to the audience before. I've told this to you before, but when my father-in-law comes off the river and comes home back to his hometown for multiple weeks during the summer, that tells you right there, the fishing is shit. And he has complained about it all year long, how the fishing is just not good. And whether he's fishing for walleye or he's fishing for bass, it's just, it's just been horrible fishing up there on those pools. What, what about that was, what was so tough about it? Uh, the, so random huge rainstorms brought in a ton of muddy water mm-hmm. so the, the river color the clarity is just terrible right now um and then when you've got those you know they're, they pulled the plug on a couple of the pools we were fishing so the water's coming out dropping hard yep and you've got just an amazing amount of you know recreational boaters and yep. tournament fish and uh, barge traffic where you've got all of this eelgrass that's cut up and, and drifting down river. And so, you know, you have bad water color, you have falling water conditions, and then you just have a ton of stuff floating down river. So if you took, you know, like normally this time of year, you'd be throwing top waters and just, uh, you know, really setting up on schooling fish yep. or, or frog, frog fish if you're fishing largemouth. But man, you can't throw up anything with treble hooks on top and you try to throw right now. It's like, you know, nine out of 10 casts, it gets hung up on grass and it's just, yeah. it was just tough conditions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've been on the river, uh, those days where he's only taking us out to be nice to us. If he, if we weren't there, he wouldn't have taken out and you're right. It's like every other cast you're having to take the weeds off your, off your hook. And, and then you got some Baja going by at 50 miles an hour and, and, my father-in-law, he calls them sun worshipers. Uh, he hates those types of boats. He's like, they serve no purpose on this river. <laughs> you know, like he, he does not want to share public lands with recreational boaters. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it, this is a weird, maybe a weird segue, but man, there's really, when you fish the river, the Mississippi river, and I'm yeah. sure this is in a lot of places, but it really feels like, uh, a sort of a classes system. I mean, like you see a lot of little 14 and 16 foot tiller steered fishing boats. Yep. Then the freaking $150,000 wake boats, or even some of the, the bigger house boats. Mm-hmm. It, it's wild. It's wild. The amount of recreational boat traffic now and just yeah. the money that's in it is. Oh it's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. The, the other thing that I've noticed is those small fishing towns up there. They're starting to turn from, you know, the fishing towns to this condos are popping up. Old buildings yep. are getting remodeled into, uh, you know, housing for the, the summer, the summer traffic. And yeah, yep. it's, bring, it's bringing a, it's bringing a nice, uh, a nice income into these towns, keeping them alive at, at, you know, at some point. But at the end of the day, like the people who live there and the people who have been like my father-in-law, who's been going up there for 45 years now fishing, hates every second of it because those people come in and, and they want to change the town. Like they want in, in Harper's Ferry, the rumor has it that they want to get all the trailers 
out of the town, right? And that whole community is of trailers that have been little fishing shacks for, you know, 40, 50 years. And now they're, they're trying to, you know, rumor has it, get rid of all that and bring in houses and bring in that, uh, the money, so to speak, if that makes sense. So, yeah, those, those towns, I was in Harper's Ferry this weekend, like those, those little towns along the river, you know, you're in a rough spot there because there's nowhere to expand. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're on the bluffs. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're pinched into this tiny spot along the river where there's some, some kind of flat land to work with. Yep. It's not like they can just expand out and out and out and build new places. It's like you're you're right on top of the river, and so that old infrastructure. I mean, the big money comes in and it wants it gone. Yeah, and that's fact. It's a weird. It's a weird deal, and it's it sucks. I mean, I'm I guess I'm getting old too because I love those little river towns. Oh, I do too. You know? I love that area and Harper's Ferry and Lansing, and you know, get across the river on the Wisconsin side. Like, there's, it's just cool. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like. That money, it, 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 dude. It's like uh, you, you know, if you go out and start a YouTube channel and you're going to be true to your true to your heart and only hunt public land and not take money from any big corporate sponsors, like eventually when that big money comes in, you change your tune. You exactly. Know? Like, it's really easy, really easy to sit back and be like, "Don't oh, develop that little river town. I like it. It's got yeah. nostalgia and it's cool and it's retro." But like, you know. Yeah. I have no financial interest in it one way or the other. It's easy to sit back and be like, don't do that. When right. It, you know, I don't right. actually, it's kind of like the, you know, the crowd that says like, oh, you know, we shouldn't be hunting lions in Africa. It's like, yeah. all right, well, get out your checkbook and stop it then. Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's an easy, you know, easy thing to say when you don't actually have to pony up or do anything. Right, right. Uh, friend of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Justin Czar, you know, you brought up like yep. uh, selling out. I love that guy to death. He's like, dude, I'm just yep. waiting for my opportunity to sell out. The first person who wants to write a fat check for me, I will take it, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and the only difference between him and everybody else is he's just readily admitting it. Exactly. He's admitting it while everybody else is like, I'd never do that. I yep. would never do that. So, I got, I got, you went fishing. Uh, this weekend. Uh, so what, what won the tournament? Man, well, what l- really w- won the tournament was, wait, we fished two tournaments, by the way, Okay, uh, a frog only tournament on Saturday and then a little team derby thing on Sunday. And what won Saturday was local knowledge. Uh, I think yeah. four out of the five top finishers, finishing teams were locals from lacrosse. And they knew if they ran up a pool, they locked up a pool, uh, they'd have clean water and good slop to fish, and which is everything for frogs, you yeah. know, or frog fishing. And those of us who stayed down there and didn't know any better scrambled through the muddy water and the, you know, the few spots that had some clean water where it was filtering through. And, you know, it's then you're in like a merry-go-round with, you know, 50 other boats. Yeah. And so there was some, I mean, the winners had a, they had five fish for like 18, 18 and a half pounds, which is really really good down there this time of year you know that'd be a different story uh but you know i mean that's that's one of those things that it kind of reminds me of uh you know like the non-resident resident fight and you know residents bitch time and i'm like man you guys have such an advantage living there right like the that local advantage is real we see that in tournament fishing so much and you see it in everything but we don't want to acknowledge it you know yep that's a fact I, I agree. I agree. 
I wish I was on the the uh, water for two straight days, uh, three days or whatever, throwing uh, throwing frogs on top water. I uh, we had our local Swisher Fun Days. Okay, so let me tell you uh-huh. what Swisher Fun Days are, is. We have on Friday night it's a tractor pull, and that's usually when the sugar intake starts for the kids uh, right around there, and it's just balls to the wall the rest of the weekend. We have a parade. Uh, on Saturday morning, and then we go uptown. And what's really cool about this this town we live in, it's like the hardcore drinking and the inflatable houses for the kids are right next to each other. And so there's this <laughs> overlap. Oh, there's this little overlap where the hardcore drinkers who have kids are hardcore drinking and going walking down this uh, inflatable alley, I, I call it, and so so it's fun to see like parents who are half in the tank already and parenting at the same time. And I will tell you from firsthand experience, not this weekend, but previous engagements, it is hard to be a parent and be a serious drinker. Like, <laughs> like if like it, it's hard to do, and that's why I don't I don't do it anymore. If I have to parent, I just don't drink. Because I just, I get annoyed at my kids more. And so I'm just like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait till they go to bed or wait till we get home. And then it's, uh, and then it's kind of over. Right. And you know, that might be the smartest thing you've ever said on a podcast. I know. I know. Because it's, it's so true. You can't do both. Right. Right. I know a lot of people try. And, and, uh, you know, my favorite is waiting in line or when a parent orders uh, beers for a whole bunch of people and then they make their kids carry the two silo Coors lights. Uh, they order four. So mom's holding mom's holding two and little girls holding two to take them to the dad or the uncle or the friend or whatever. So, you know, that's that's small town living right there. That is, I, you know, I think I might, I might be way wrong here, but isn't that like a kind of a European thing to have like playgrounds at your bars and stuff and have it be more of a, more of a family event than, you know, just go sit down belly up and get hammered and try to take home. Yeah. I don't know. I I've never been to Europe, but our, our bar in town is very kid friendly. And what I mean by that is uh, on Thursday nights before we go to the American Legion for the library puts on these events every every week uh, in the summertime where they'll have a guy, a lady who breathes fire or a guy who comes in and freezes things with nitro, you know, uh, uh, liquid <laughs> nitrogen or a bubble guy or uh, um, one guy was like doing science experiments all put on by the library, which is awesome. But beforehand, all the parents go to the bar and order cheese balls and you know appetizers and and have a couple of drinks we partake in it the kids oh they go back into the the back area of the bar where the pool tables are at and just launch i mean they're not even they don't even use the pool sticks but they're just launching pool balls like fingers get smashed every single time the bar yep. the the bartender is always just one one hair away from saying something but never huh. does because we tip we tip pretty good, right? So, so just an obvious level like low level of annoyance, yeah, and yeah, aggression there, yeah, exactly. So you know that's the kind of that's the kind of bar. It's nice, it's clean. It's not like 
I've been to some crazy bars where it's like chew spit on the floor, like guys passed out at 8 a.m. in the morning type of uh, type of bar. It's not that kind of bar. It's actually it's it's a classy small town bar. I'll be honest with you. Yep. So so anyway, what I was getting at was, you know, so the whole weekend was a thing. We were doing something all weekend long. And then to the point where we went home, we had a little quiet, like I call it quiet time which the kids weren't quiet. I needed an excuse to go down and just like relax for, yep. uh, for a moment. And then all, and then we went back to the bouncy houses and then that's when the nightmare began. And it, usually what that means is <laughs> like they're coming off their sugar and yep. they're kind of hungry, but they have stomach aches because that's all they've eaten all day long. And uh, they start getting cranky. And then my youngest turns into this zombie mode where he stubbed his toe and it was just, I don't know. If you've ever seen the this slow deterioration of a human over the period of two hours where they're crying but they don't want to stop and they're, they're just basically zombies. And so I was having to deal with two of that, two of those, my two boys, and they didn't want to leave or they, and they're well, what are you saying, buddy? Come on. And then you get back home and you pretty much have to just throw them in a chokehold and put them to bed. And then they finally pass out and you're, you're just whooped by the end of the day. Cause all you're doing is chasing kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dude, I know the feeling I, it's not only from raising my little girls, but from hunting with Kenyon and <laughs> I just had to spit coffee out of my mouth. You know, you know how he is. If shit starts going south, he starts pouting and crying and pisses himself just a little bit and eats a lot of weird candy. Uh, I wish he was here to defend himself. What What would he say to you, other than being old? What would he say oh, to you? Uh, he would. This Kenyon makes fun of me for being old and for not having as many social media followers as him. And I was like, bro, your, your measure of a man is way different than mine. <laughs> yeah, and, you're old and your socials feed sucks. Got ya. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> plus, it's not like he would be here and defend himself or anyway because he's off. I'm sure he's off fly fishing right now yeah. somewhere. Right, right. Oh, that's funny. I, that's, a, that's a good burn. You know what? I feel like I should be Steve Harvey on on a burn off between you guys on, on an episode where I just stand and I give a topic and then you guys each get to make fun of each other about that topic and uh and then I don't know the public decides who wins <laughs> oh man I think I think he's too nice for that yeah yeah he is he's a really nice guy yeah all right hard pivot here so <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to do my best to describe what we like when we have these brainstorm ideas about a topic for you know what we're going to discuss we can I, I feel like we can't necessarily talk on the podcast like we talk when we're not recording right we could I guess if we wanted to but there's there's some extra that goes in there that I don't feel like it's necessary to share. So the the conversation kind of um, was brought up is like, do you think you're going to kill a big buck this year? And 
how did we, I, I'm going to pass it to you. How did we, how did this topic start and, and how did we decide how we were going to approach this? Well, it came up cause I was, I was, I reached out to you for some quotes for an article I was writing for mm. media about why people won't kill big bucks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So why people won't kill big bucks and then all the reasons behind that. Yep. Um, number one, has that article launched yet? Um, I have no idea. Prob- okay. uh, maybe. Maybe. It, right. if, if not, it will be out very soon. All right, cool. So maybe it'll launch somewhere around when this episode launches. All right, yep. so why people won't kill a big buck. And we had, we had a, a lot of fun uh, getting quotes for that, for that particular article. So let me, let me ask you a question right off the bat. And if you start going down the, the, how do I put this? The print world, uh, (laughs) normal answer, you know, like, well, most of the people who aren't going to kill big weasel weasel words, that's what you call them weasel words. And you start going down the weasel word hole. I will push the bullshit button. And you will have to explain yourself in better detail. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. First off, what is what is a give us an example of what weasel words are? <sighs> so, in in a in the Sigmund Freud laying on the couch explanation, I guess. Yeah. It would be going against what you actually think like what your actual opinions or beliefs are to try to sort of pacify a general audience. Okay. I mean, it's like probably not like that different than our normal pressure to be politically correct in so many different situations and censor our own speech. And it's, you know, honestly, it's sort of a self-preservation mode so you don't get your ass handed to you, Mm -hmm. but it's also an acknowledgement of just like, man, people come at this from a lot of different ways and they have a lot of different backgrounds. And so you're like, I don't really want to piss off tons of people or offend them, yeah. you know, like unnecessarily. But at the same time, you end up kind of like being less true to yourself, I guess, like, yeah. you know, on your, but in it, you know, I mean, it really, it boils down to your opinion and it's like, okay, well, if I believe this, it shouldn't have like a ton of bearing on somebody else, yeah. you know? But yeah. we do, we naturally default to that protection mode, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's safe to say. Because um, I, you know, there's there's times, I'm guilty of it, right? When I'm getting on the phone with someone who I guess is a known deer killer, right? They do things different than I do, or, or whether they strictly hunt public or they hunt managed ground or whatever the scenario is, you get into the... Oh yeah, access routes, food plots, uh, you know, uh, um, whatever the the terminology is for the general answer, the general answer to a specific question, if that makes yep. sense. Yeah. So, yep. all right, big bucks, right? Um, why do you think most people will not? And it's it sucks to say because you can't see this, but every time I say big bucks. On this podcast, I use air quotes. And so, Tony, why do you think most people won't kill, quote unquote, big bucks this year? Uh, I honestly, because they're not good enough. 
Yeah. You know, now, and, and I, <laughs> so, so just right to the nuts automatically. That. Right to the nutsack just now. And and so a lot of people are going, what, what, huh, huh, what, wait a second, but if I, I was told if my access route is good and I, and I'm downwind of a betting area and all this stuff, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna get a shot. Why not? Because this stuff this this stuff isn't purely academic. So on the, on the content side of things, we create answers for people that are purely ap- academic, right? Like yep. if I say, you know, you got to trim this access route in June so you have it and it's, you know, tack it, tack it really well so you can get in there and only go in on this wind. Oh, okay, that might be great if the scenario when you're going to hunt lines up perfectly. If all the conditions and right. everything, seasonal timing and the weather and whatever else, but it almost never works that way. Like yeah. it, uh, I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why managing deer has become like sort of the default industry standard, because if you can, if you can ensure consistency, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Like if, if nothing's going to change as far as hunting pressure and the food sources and the sanctuaries and everything like that, then from year to year, you know, okay, you plug in some stuff like oh, the wind's out of here or it's Halloween and the wind's out of here. I know if I go in there, I've got these cell cam picks of this buck. He's probably coming in. Most yeah. people go out and their situation has changed a lot. You know, most people don't control the pressure on the places they hunt. Yeah. Or a good percentage of people don't. Most people don't control what food sources are around them. You know, even, even if they even if they plant a little food plot or something like that, if you're, if you're in an area with some ag, you know, you're not controlling the neighbor's property. Like you're not controlling the commodity prices on grain or whatever. And all of a sudden this year there's corn everywhere when there should be beans or vice versa. Like there's so many things we don't control that lead to just inconsistency from year to year. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big thing. And so when you say, well, you know, go do this and you'll kill a big buck you're leaving, you know, 93% of the important stuff out because you don't know it. Yeah. And so it's always sort of an incomplete picture. And I think when I say people aren't good enough, like I mean a lot of different ways, right? Like factoring in those conditions, like just having the experience of knowing when to draw on big ones or having the experience to say, I'm not going into my best spot because I want to, like, because the conditions aren't right or, you know, ticket right down the line and there, there's a lot there. And honestly, I don't think a lot of people care about, I think like in their head, they care about the big buck thing a lot, but I think over time throughout the season when it's like uh, another alarm or I could go do this or I could go do that. I don't, I don't think a lot of people aren't as committed as they need to be. And it, and I don't mean that as like a, I, I really don't mean that to be offensive. What I mean is like, if you're not kind of really obsessed with it, like if it isn't really, really your thing, you might never get to a place where it's going to be just every year I'm getting my shot at a big one yeah. or my, my five encounters I need where one of them breaks my way. Like it just might not be as important as you think. Yeah. That's the answer really. I mean, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but I think there's a level of dedication that, people think they have and they at at the end of the year they find out that they don't have it and so then they'll start making excuses right when they're not they're honestly not being real with themselves like did you really do everything you could have 
you know, preseason, during the season, postseason from the previous year to put yourself in the best position or get educated on the terrain that these animals live in? Probably not, right? Yep. And so you're, what you're doing is you're taking, you're, you're sacrificing, uh, this is the way I kind of look at it, is long-term knowledge versus short-term knowledge. And so for me, uh, just on one of the properties that I hunt, I've been hunting it for like 15 years now. I know how the deer move through that property. Uh, I know how they move during certain um, crop rotations. I know, you know, like I just know because I've hunted it for that long. I kind of know where I need to be in certain times of the year and I can micro adjust when necessary. But if you're new to a property and you don't know, you got to put in time somewhere, right? To get, you got to put you got to put in the time somewhere, whether that's scouting, whether that's in the tree stand during the year. And if you're just not willing to do that, the chances of you even being successful on anything, in my opinion, goes down. Yep. Well, one way that I really look at this is I, I remember, gosh, this was probably like eight or nine years ago. I was hunting out in uh, Western North Dakota in the Badlands out there, and. I had a mule deer and an, I had a either deer tag, I should say, any deer tag. So I could hunt whitetails or mule deer. And I, I talked to this dude who was camped out there uh, in the same campground as me. And he was mule deer hunting, bow hunting mule deer. Yep. And he was going out and trying to get on a, a, a you know, a point or something and use his spotting scope to bed one. And, you know, hunting pretty big deer. He was looking for, I don't remember, like 140 plus or something. But out there, pretty good one for public land. And I remember, you know, there'd be whole days where he wouldn't stalk. He wouldn't get in a single stalk. And it's because that strategy doesn't play well in breaky terrain. It, but in his, <clears throat> you know, in his mind and the, and the content he'd consumed, it's like you go out and you get glass, you know, you glass whatever you can until you bed one and then you make your, you plan your route and you go in. Well, if you're, if you draw like a high country Colorado mule deer tag and they're in the basins right up by the tree line or the, you know, the vegetation line, I guess, before it breaks to rock. Sure. Cause you can see, you know, hundreds of acres from one spot and it's yeah. all set up to glass. I mean, it just naturally is. But when you go to another area, that's not like that, you know, rolling Hills and you know, all these little coolies and stuff, where sure you might pick one up bedding down but the odds are pretty good that when you see one and he walks down in there you don't know where he is and then yeah that strategy's dead you know you you can still kill those deer but i always think that like you know you, you get into that situation you got to recognize that this is probably not the best way anymore like right. i i know this is sort of the industry standard for finding a big early season mule deer and killing him but when you get there you go uh this this isn't going to cut it anymore Right. And I think in the whitetail world, we do that so often because we're fed so much information. There's so much content out there. But, you know, even like take the hunting public guys, like they say, well, I'm going to go in or they're going to go into a certain property in some state and do it this way. Like you might be one county over and have an entirely different situation. Yeah. You know, like you just might. And so part of it is, yeah, you can you can you can glean some good information from a lot of people. And I, I really think you can. But I also think that you got to just learn to get out there and get into your own situation and go, what, what am I doing wrong? Or yeah. what's, what's new this year? Like who's hunting on the neighbor's property or what, why, 
why is this not going my way or how what do I got to do to make it go my way and that's like stuff that you just have to figure out in the moment or in a certain time frame just like leading up to your hunt that you're just not going to get you know like you're not going to get that information anywhere else nobody can give it to you yeah yeah do you think do you think that you can throw something at a problem like if i'm a shitty hunter and i i can't find success is there something that i can throw at the problem that will make me a better hunter i no no i mean i think i think really what you got to look at you know if there's somebody out there it's like i just cannot get this engine turned over i can't freaking get on one i think what it boils down to is a lesson that works in so many parts of life it's like you have to do things you don't want to do yeah you know like we we i mean maybe this is like the crux of the the problem with this stuff is we look at deer hunting like it's something we always want to do like we're super passionate about it and it's our hobby and we love it but mostly you know if we're being honest we we want to do the things we want to do with it we want to sit where we like that we can see and has nice access and we want to do the kind of the easy kind of hit the easy button and enjoy it that way but that doesn't really play well with like i'm gonna kill big bucks on public land or whatever like what if you if your goal is pretty high and you want to kill some mature deer you know hunting the way you want to for fun is like it's like a really small part of it because there's so much work and there's so much that you should be doing that you don't really want to do like yeah you know i mean just as an example you know i've been talking about this forever but you know you take take somebody who's you know, they, they want to kill a big buck in whatever state. And there's, you know, you can go onto public land and in the rut when you should be able to kill one because that's all we've ever heard. But you have 100 million people out there to compete with. Or you could hunt in the beginning of October on that same public land. And, yeah, maybe it's 75 degrees and not that fun type of weather you want to hunt. But there's a badass place to sit on water or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah there's things you can do that you might not want to, they'll put you on big deer. And yeah. we, you know, we talk about it all the time, but it's just like, you know, how it is like you go out, people aren't doing that stuff very often. Yeah. Like they're, they're still leaning toward the rut. They're still leaning toward those cold fronts in late October. And it, you know, like, man, there's a lot of situations where that's a great, that's going to be a good benefit to you, you know, but you have to recognize if it's really not. Yeah. Like you might be hunting a situation where that isn't that great. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back to the comment of you're just not good enough. Okay. Uh, and, and I've, I've said in, in order to make me or, or the general person, a better hunter, they need to do, do some things. And, and some of these things that a person has to do to become a better hunter um, slash become more successful seem to be, I don't think those things are actually talked about. And I don't mean going and scouting. I mean, really take a look at the individual who you look up to and weigh your life against their life. Okay. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is time. How much time are individuals putting towards 
uh, towards this. And I think what we're what we ultimately do is we compare. We want the same outcome as these people, but we don't put in the time in certain places to become them or compare the right. Like we can't just compare the outcome and we necessarily can't compare the time that an individual puts into to something because maybe this person doesn't have kids or this person isn't married or like for me, I have a wife and three kids. There's no way my wife would go out and let me do the, the, what, what, let's just say the hunting public guys are doing right. It's, it's impossible for, for me to now try to want to do that. Right. I would have to be making so much money that I could just throw a stack of cash at my wife and, and just be like, be happy now. And she'd be okay. You know, like here's 10 grand, be happy. And, And I'd be like, okay, let's go hunting for a month or whatever, you know? And, and so, and so like, I feel like that's a, that's an, a topic that nobody talks about is the, the actual person who is finding the success. And yes, don't get me wrong. There are guys out there who can walk in, you know, they, they've put in the time throughout the years. They can walk into a scenario and say, Oh God, I think the deer are going to be here and they find success. Right. Yep. But there's other people out there who and I'm just going to be blunt about this. There's other people out there that we look up to they're they're single or they're divorced or they sacrifice time with their family uh, i mean you talk you talk to some of the biggest buck killers on the planet so people that you really look up to these guys were not going to their kids football games in the fall these people were not going to to holidays with their families right these guys were doing one thing and that was deer hunting. Yep. So the question is that a person has to ask themselves, are you willing to do that or sacrifice in some other aspect of your life to find that success? And once you do, is it actually worth it? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, there's a, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I think, I think you got to look at it's, this is a weird thing because we, we tend to look at like only the negatives for ourselves. Like individually, we're like, Oh, I don't have the land or I don't have the money or I don't have the time. Some what, what insert, whatever, whatever negative thing. Yeah. And, and when we look at some of the, some of the industry people or the people that people look up to, we tend to focus on only the positives for them. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, you know, they, they kill 180 inches every year and that's amazing. And it's like, well, okay. Like, but why, I, I think a better thing, and I, I'm not saying like look at the negatives with them, which you can, or you can just be more honest about their situation versus yours. But I think it'd be better off to look at the positives for your individual situation, you know. And and so much of that just boils down to what you and I have talked about a million times, which is like, where are your standards at? Yeah. Like, what, what what do you feel for you would be a good season? Like, yeah. what's a good outcome? What do you, what do you really want out of it? And so often we just sort of break negative and look at it and, and kind of give up. And I'm like, man, you know, like forget about everybody else here. You know, like even even the people that, you know, you have the most integrity in the industry. Like if it's their job to hunt, they have so many advantages, even yes. if they're hunting a 
public land. You know, I mean, you think about think about what it's like to go hunt whitetails somewhere where you can see them, and not only is it you there, but you've got five or six guys glassing for you. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like the end result might be a great public land buck that's dead, and that's awesome. But the advantage there was just that part was an enormous yeah. advantage, and then. You're not paying for your gear and you don't have to go home because you can stay till you kill one and you, you go right down the line there and, you know, maybe you've got some local intel because people like you and they reach out and tell you to look at this, this part of the river bottom or something. And you don't see all that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not, that's bad, but it's like that, that exists in every, every facet of this. And so it's always like, man, you kind of got to just take, take care of yourself and look at what do you, what do you have going on? Yeah. Like, are you, are you only focusing on oh, all the hunting pressure in the place that I hunt? Nobody could come and do, you know, kill a big one here. It's like, okay, well maybe a big one is a hundred inches then. Yeah. yeah maybe what, that- that's what we talked about, right? That that's what the first thing that I think I said in, in maybe the article that you were, that you wrote was, well, first I think a guy needs to define what is a big buck, right? Yeah. Cause a big buck in Alabama is going to be different than a big buck in Iowa. Right. And or out in New York versus Kansas or whatever this, you know, whatever the comparison or whatever state you're in. And the only way I think a guy really knows that is by getting out in it. Right. And and doing it. And, And so I just get really I get frustrated the most when the term, you know, you know, find your, you know, find your biggest buck ever this year or go, you know, tips to kill your biggest buck ever this year. It's such a bullshit term that i i don't i don't even like saying it and i i i do it i do it on on the content that i put out because i'll be completely honest with you the algorithm or whatever lack of algorithm or whenever anybody says big buck in a title of one of my podcasts it gets straight up more downloads than anything (laughs) else so it's hard to it's, it's hard to play the game and then also be true to yourself so in a way i've already sold out is what i'm getting at it, it that's inevitable i mean yeah. it, you have to nobody starts a platform like you did and focuses on killing does yeah <laughs> <laughs> not anybody who wants to make it longer than a couple months but i i think a i think a better question because you know, like when you talk about like the you know a big buck in alabama versus a big buck in iowa there's going to be a difference right but like who cares like what 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 does that matter i think a better question is like what is a big buck to you and, and people need to be really honest about that. You know, like if you've got a wall full of Pope and Young bucks, a big one might be like 150 inches. It, it, and I don't care where you live. Like you might, that you might be in Iowa, you might be in Pennsylvania and have a badass farm. I don't know. But what is a big one to you? And yeah. that that's one of those things that I, that's why I push the traveling hunt stuff so much. Because we get really kind of locked into our zone at home. Or wherever it is we hunt, you know, the bulk of our season or all of our season. And then you go somewhere new and you you kind of just like out of necessity have to recalibrate what's what's success. Like yeah. what what does this mean to me? And you know, it, it changes how you look at that this stuff and you kinda of realize like I should be you know, if if you're inclined to it, you should be trying to just ratchet up your own level of what it is. Like what what is that success? You know, and if you've if you've gone out and you've killed a bunch of two and a half year olds and you're like, this is, I kind of got that. Well, then you know what's next, you know, but if you go out and you're like, well, it's, 
I got to compete with uh, the big names, and I got to I got to really you know put some seriously big bucks down. You probably not in a situation where that's going to work out very well for you. And it's not really that great of an idea, probably. Yeah, and I've seen it happen uh, where some guy goes out, he gets lucky his first, his first whatever attempt at get going after a big buck, and then they start talking about it, right? And then what happens is the real life scenario comes in where they kind of realize that those type types of deer just aren't around every corner, and yep. they get stuck because it go, now two years go by and now things have changed and and you I don't know like you just things change and the big bucks didn't show up this year they they maybe you got show camera pictures of them but you never connected with them and so now here and and so now here you are almost looking like a fool uh because you got lucky and don't get me wrong dude I'll take luck almost every single day that I can but uh I don't know man I, I just it's it I understand that probably a majority of the people who are listening to this episode right now um, understand everything that I'm that we're probably saying. But if you yeah. don't, I don't think it's anything to get worked up about. I just think people need to take a step back, look at what their goals and expectations are, and and really honestly ask themselves, dude, am I capable of it? And do I have those caliber of deer around to even go after? Yep. Well, I mean, and uh, kind of along that, you know, like what I said right away, like they're not good enough. Like when you think about people and people don't want to hear that, but you know, like I just did an interview with Andy May for, for an upcoming wired to hunt podcast. And that guy is just better at this than almost everyone. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's something to, certain people they my buddy calls it critter sense yeah uh, i don't i don't know this is going to be a bad connection just because you're an iowa guy Do you, did you know of a guy named tommy scarless at all he no. was no he no. Was, okay um he was a uh really good walleye fisherman he died of cancer just a couple years ago but was like you know tournament fish walleye fished he, he could catch fish anywhere i mean he was just he was really good at it and he happened to be a really good bow hunter and really successful and I, my tournament partner was talking about him one day and he said he's just got critter sense yeah he could just figure this stuff out anywhere he goes and man you know part of that there i think there's like something inherent there in some people and part of it is just more and more experience doing stuff outdoors that challenges you and a lot of people just don't get it like they don't and, and I mean, like, they understand that, but they don't have the time or they don't have the, the means to make those experiences happen or they just don't have the desire to be out there constantly. Yeah. And you're not going to get as good as Andy May if you're not really getting after it. And even then, you know, like I was thinking about this. I, I play guitar. I love playing guitar and I've played a long time and I can go on YouTube and I can see nine year olds who are better than me. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they just got something I don't. And that's just how it is. And we never, ever talk about that in hunting. We always talk about it. Like everybody has the exact same skill level possibilities and the exact same opportunities to go out and get this done on public land or whatever. And it's like, man, that's just not true. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I will say this. I, from someone who, let's just, I'm not going to compare myself to Andy May because I honestly think he's on a different level. He, his life is set up different, but he is, you know, he is, uh, he's really good at what he does, right? With that said, I didn't used to have critter sense, but I also had to recalculate my brain and my way of thinking and change, change my strategy up throughout the years. And, and that led me to changing, you know, I, I changed everything, but that also led me to getting what you call critter sense. So it's, yeah, experience, right? So I, I, I flipped the script on myself. I said, okay, I got to change some things. I was more observant in the woods and that led to me now having more of a feel and a gut with the way deer move through terrain than just going down a checkbox and saying, okay, the access is here. The sign is here. I walk in the woods. I take a deep breath, almost like I wish I could compare myself to the movie Gladiator where he puts the dirt in his hands and he, you know, it's something like that. He's like, okay, today's a good day, but it's different, right? Once you, once you, once it clicks for you, it's different. And just, I don't feel a lot of people are, it hasn't clicked for them yet because they haven't put the time in yet. And so I'm sure I've, you know, I've never, I've, I know Andy, I haven't spent a lot of time talking to him. Um, or some of the other guys out there like uh, DeQuisto or um, Dan Infault, guys like that, who have spent countless hours in the woods chasing these animals. Uh, I've, I've never talked to them about whether or not, you know, it's always, it's always been that way. Have they always had the, the gut, the feel for it? Or is it something that they've had to acquire throughout all, all the years? And I think for everybody, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it is it is purely tied to experience out there. Yeah, time. And, yep. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, you know, what, what's interesting about Andy is he doesn't have a lot of time. Right? People think he does, but he has two jobs, and, you know, he's got a daughter that he's, you know, she's involved in a lot of stuff. He coaches a lot of stuff. Like, he doesn't have a lot of time, but what he does is he he finds little windows to do this stuff. Like the, the hour before work, the, the lunch hours, you know, go check cameras thing. Like that dude just figures out how to take little snacks, like little bites of this stuff all the time. Yeah. And, you know, and it, I, I'm, I, I don't mean that like everybody can do that. I understand that they can't, but really it kind of does boil down to like how much time have you spent out there? And, it, and you know, I, I get like some people can't, but I always think about like, you know, that first sit of the season it's exciting, but you go out and at least me, like I always go out and I'm like, I feel like I don't even know what I'm doing, you know, like, and a lot of times it happens, you know, the first hunt of the year is like an elk hunt or something. And I always have this moment of panic where I'm like hiking up the trail where I'm like, I don't have a freaking clue what I'm doing. Like you feel disconnected from the process and the experience. And you can, you can get that. Like I, I got hit with that when I went from not having kids to having kids and I went from almost unlimited time to a weekend warrior that five days in between the Monday through Friday where I wasn't hunting and I would come back to the woods. I felt like it, I was at such a disadvantage because I wasn't in the groove anymore. And you know, you know how it is like those first hunts, you're like, ah, I'll just figure shit out and it's good to get back into a tree. 
where you're not dialed like you are on like day six of your rutcation where you're like, my system is down. Yep. I'm, I'm tuned into the weather. I, I like, you just feel sort of flow statey. And I think that a lot of people don't have the time to, to get there. And that really works against you when you're trying to like be in the moment and go, okay, like they're doing this now or the deer I can hunt. They, they're on this pattern right now. Yeah. You're always kind of behind the eight ball on that. If you can't get out there enough. And it's just like, that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Uh, I, I don't know the word for word quote, but Jim Shockey had this amazing quote uh, where he talked about some, something similar. And he's like, if you're only spending two or three days, you know, at a hunt at a time, you really, you really don't, you're really not able to get into a groove with nature, a groove with, uh, and this is a guy who goes, you know, on these, you know, multiple week hunts, right. For looking for trophy animals only. Right. And so what the whole point of this quote that he, that he had at one point was like on day, you know, you don't even know what you're doing the first four days really. And then you get into, I think he called it like wolf where your mind changes and your body changes and you become, uh, you reach this equilibrium with the environment and you're in tune with it. And then you become the wolf. And once you become the wolf, things just become easier. And, and I, I, I thought about that. I'm like, God, he's right. You know, he's right. How many times have you ever gone on a, on a Western hunt or an out of state hunt? You're four, you're four days deep. And you, then you just get into a groove and you're like, oh shit, now it's time to go. And, and I dude, that happens in, that happened in Nebraska. That happened in, in South Dakota uh, multiple times for me where I was boom day, you know, day five, day six on deer. Now I just got to make that micro adjustment and get within shooting range. And I, I'm positive that if I had one more day to do it, I would have got it done. But, uh, you know, time's up at that point. So, uh, it just becomes, I don't know. I want to be the wolf is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And I, and I think kind of on that note too, I think it's, I think you view this stuff so differently when you have that time, you know, for like a, an out of state whitetail hunt, you know, if if I'm going to public land somewhere, if I have like five or six full days to hunt, that's like my sweet spot. It's different. You know, at elk hunt, I'll take as much time as I can get because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but when it's whitetails, I'm like, I feel like, you know, you might strike quick because you got that e-scouting and whatever else going for you. But if you don't, it, it's like, okay, you need enough time to really figure this shit out and get into that groove. And it's hard, man. And I think a lot of people don't have that time. And so you get there, and you know, whether you're at home or you're on the road or whatever, and it's like, I got a weekend. And it's, I think it's easy to sort of settle with your stand spots and stuff. Cause you're like, I don't, I don't have the time. Like, I think you, even if you don't acknowledge it, you kind of know this is yeah. sort of crap stuff, you know, like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to do some things to try to put the odds in your favor, but I think it's kind of easy to settle too. When you're like, Oh, I got a Saturday, you know, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then I got to go home and it's just not enough. And so when you kind of acknowledge, I go, uh, you know, I'm going to just go sit this spot cause it's easy or. I always see deer when I sit this stance, I'm going to go do it. But you know, that might not really jive with your goal of killing a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And it really all depends on like, I I know guys who have wanted to become, they, they want to be the slayer, right? They want to be that guy who goes out 
and kill giants or you know kill a, a good quality deer every year whether it's out of state or even in their home state but then they were like it's almost like a come to jesus moment where they're like well i don't I, i'm I, I can't be that guy my other things in my life take priority uh my time in, is in different areas like i'm right now getting ready to start like uh, i'm sure there's guys out there who are listening where maybe your kids are in high school or they're out of high school and in college where activities are over now for you right so now you can jump back into to deer hunting or something like that but for me i'm just getting ready to start three kids full bore activities uh you know like through the fall and things i'm still gonna get to go on my hunts but I'm glad that I put in all this time in before now to get to where I'm at. And, and so the next 10, you know, the next 10 years, I'll be realistic. It's going to be 10 years where I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the mode, right? I'm going to be in activities mode. And so the scouting's probably not going to happen as much. I'm going to rely on a ton of trail cameras, out of state hunts, are they're going to happen, but they're not going to happen as much as I'd like them to. And so what we have here is, is me just going, you know what? I think my priorities, like my priorities is definitely my family. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put the time in here. And then hopefully if I'm still healthy enough in 10 years and my knees haven't exploded yet, then, uh, then I'll be able to go out and, and, and pick back, hopefully have the same drive and passion and pick right back where I left off. Yep. And and honestly, you probably won't because you'll be a different person then. Yeah. But you're you'll, right. you'll, you're you'll, right. you'll restart someplace good. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, this, that's another really valid point when, you know, you talk about, you know, why don't people kill big bucks? And it's like, man, you, you might have started bow hunting and, you know, five years before you got into that phase of your, you know, family life where, you are just freaking running kids all over. And it's yeah. softball two nights a week and gymnastics and just right down the line. And then it's tournaments on the weekends. And it's like, you know, so all of a sudden you might have gone from, well, I have enough time to target a 130 plus deer every year to now you don't. And you were that person two years ago. And people have a really hard time with that sometimes, like being like, geez, now I'm. Should I, should I go back to killing freaking Forkies because I don't have any time? And I, I'm sure you probably know a few people who have done that, and I do, too, and they, they're pretty happy because yeah. <laughs> they just go, all right, well, now uh, uh, that picture of Big Buck looks different to me now because because of absolutely nothing that happened hunting-wise. Right. What happened to my life-wise or a new job or yeah. whatever. Experience, yeah. We don't – we just don't – acknowledge that enough in the hunting industry i don't think nice. and i think it's a lost opportunity yeah i agree i agree 100 percent. or if you get rich if you have a lot of money and you want success just throw a shit ton of money at it at the problem yeah. right i mean that's that, the, that's, that's literally the, the answer to anything right <laughs> yeah Reason number one why you're not killing big bucks. You're not hustling enough to make those millions. Bro. Exactly. You, uh, you're you not shooting big bucks because you can't afford an outfitter. So once you can afford an outfitter or can afford, you know, a 300 acre 
acres in southern Iowa or in, you know, Kansas or wherever, you know, Pike County, Illinois and all that stuff, then talk to me. Then then you can talk. Then you can start talking strategy with me. Yeah. They need to they need to get on that. I know. Get on that big brain. I need to get on that. Like, have you ever thought about just hanging it, like just hanging it in and being like, all right, screw it. I'm just going, I'm going strictly outfitter from here on out. No, no, you haven't, haven't. you (laughs) haven't even thought about it just a little bit. I'm actually arcing the opposite way in my life. Okay. I I had, you know, 10 years of my life in the industry where I, I I was contractually obligated to do a couple of those a year. I gotcha. And you know, they're weird, right? Like they're, they're fun. And it's, it's really fun when somebody else is paying for it because who gives a shit then, right? right? Right. But I just never, you know, I draw my own lines in the sand. Like, I don't, I've never mounted a guided animal. I've never, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mount gun kills. Like, there, there, there's like a, to me, there's like things that matter more. Right. And those, you know, I did some really fun outfitted hunts, really cool. And they were, they serve an awesome purpose but I don't have any desire for them at all yeah. now. Cause I know, you know, if I go out and kill a big deer doing that, it's not, it doesn't feel the same. No. Like I don't, and I don't care about having them, you know, I, I care more about the experience than anything. And I know that's just not going to probably cut it for me. And so it's like, just, it's not it, man. Yeah. It's funny how this, this Intel and how we collect it. It's not just the Intel but it's how we collect it, right? And how we get to the a certain point of where to start hunting that weighs actually a lot on the experience, right? So I was thinking about this the other, you know, like in Iowa, right? I ha- I'm close, and you mentioned this earlier. I'm close. I can scout in Iowa. If I want to, you know, quite frankly, if I wanted to put more time into it, I probably could, right? And, and locate you know, knock on a ton more doors or I can, um, maybe lease a property or I, I don't know, whatever the, whatever, whatever it takes, uh, to be close. I could probably do more time at that. But from a, from a, a mule deer elk antelope standpoint, I was thinking about, uh, you know, not necessarily going through an outfitter, but you like using a guide on certain hunts. And I was thinking, and this is what made me bring that up is because, it's the intel that somebody else is getting for you, right? And it's just like, hey, just over this ridge, there's a whole valley of antelope. Um, I'm going to show you where it's at. And you don't collect that yourself. But then it's the intel, right, is the only thing that's different. You still have to go make a stock on the animal. You still have to go, uh, you know, you may get busted. You may, you may whatever the, the, whole, the whole layout is for you. But it, it, at the end of the day, it's still a little different. Yep. And I, 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 am, I am having internal conversations about that right now because I have, I have a list of things that I want to accomplish. And one of those is shoot an antelope, shoot a, uh, shoot a, a mule deer, and shoot a elk. And I have a lot of good points in some states. And I, I want to make sure that those experiences, when I cash those in, are exciting and fun because I've invested a lot of time and money collecting those points throughout the year or throughout the years. And I can only do so much. I can only do so much digital scouting, right? You can't really find out where the animals are. So I'm using, having this debate, not necessarily an outfitter, but trying to locate a guide 
and and say saying to myself, okay, is this something that I can be happy with at the end of the day, and if, if I can accept it, if if any of that makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's a great way to justify hitting the easy button, Dan. Um, <laughs> you so. son of a bitch! Why couldn't you just have held that to yourself? <laughs> Okay, now Tony Peterson shamed me on my own podcast. Definitely can't use a guide now. Just, I can't hit the easy button. <laughs> well, but again, though, it, so that's a real, it, that's a real debate people have. Mm-hmm. And some people have no problem with it. Some people, have, you know, it's not even a consideration to right. hire somebody to help them. It's, you know, there's a spectrum here. And for me, you know, you're looking at that differently than I would. Like, I, I just had this conversation with one of my buddies because I have, have like 14 out points in Wyoming now, yeah. which is, you know, kind of my, like the, the one really good outtake I'll probably draw in my life. That's going to be that one. And he's like, you got to go with this outfit or that outfit. I'm like, dude, I'm going to do this on my own. And he's like, that, this is going to be your chance to kill like a 350 plus or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I want to just, I want to go hunt screaming bulls and, you know, have callable bulls and just get into Jurassic park. And I don't, I don't care if he's 380 or 280, if I kill one, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people, just, it's the same thing when people draw Iowa and it's like, I got to find someplace great to hunt. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, but you can do this stuff on your own. Like yeah. you, when you talk about killing a mule deer on your own or an antelope on your own or something, I'm like, man, there's, you, you can do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I honestly think. I know a lot of Western guys would crucify me for this, but I honestly think if you spend the bulk of your hunting time targeting whitetails and you get pretty good at it, there aren't a lot of Western critters that are going to hold you back. Yeah. Like it's a different thing. Believe me, like elk hunting is a different thing, especially if you're on over counter, over the counter unit in public land. And a lot of the mule deer and antelope hunts are getting a little crowded, but I don't think they're any different or any more difficult than targeting a pretty good buck in a lot of places that people live. It's just a different process, but it's totally doable. Yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense. And I think that once I get out there and, and start spending some more time out in these environments throughout the years, because, because really I, I mentioned this on a, on a previous podcast, I'm in my forties and it wasn't until man, I want to say 17 is when I started doing my serious Western hunts. Cause I went on an elk hunt in 14. I went on a antelope slash mule deer hunt slash whitetail hunt, uh, in 14 as well. Then 15, 16, and I think 17 were all nothing. And I didn't go anywhere. And then I started and I, so I'm compared to a lot of people who are doing this on a yearly basis. I'm in data collection mode. I'm in spot collection mode right now. And, and so once I start to get better and know where to spend time versus where to not spend time, I feel like my success is going to go up. And I really do feel like, man, in my gut, I'm, I, I feel this year is going to be a good year for me. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Well, yeah, I mean, you're in a phase with that where, I mean, there's two things, right? Like you, you just can't rack up tons and tons of experience out West because it's just not yeah logistical. Like I feel the same way. I mean, when I die, I'll have spent 
you know, not that many weeks elk hunting in my entire life. Right. Just because. And so, you know, when you look at that, I always think that we, we have this problem with traveling hunting where it's like the number one reason is almost always a big animal. Yeah. Like I'm going somewhere for a trophy animal. Like I want to kill a big mule deer. I want to kill a big elk. But really, if you want to have fun and learn how to do that stuff and kind of get a crash course education, go you go hunt opportunity. Right. You know, you go hunt some of these places where the top end mule deer might be 170 and a 130 is a really good buck. Yeah. Like, but but there's a lot of deer and not quite the focus as far as you know killing trophies and drawing that once in a lifetime tag. Like there's, there's a difference there. And it, I mean, it, probably the best example of that other than whitetails is antelope. Yeah. Like people don't give a shit about big antelope. Like really, like it's not the, the trophy thing doesn't live in the antelope world as much. And there are some great opportunity hunts out there that you can go learn a lot about those critters and have some fun stalking them or sitting on a water hole or however you want to hunt them. But we don't, we, we tend to just kind of default to trophy mode if we're going to you know, devote the resources and the time to travel, right. but to get better at it, you know, I mean, just think about the stalking situation. You want to go mule deer hunt and kill a mule deer by stalking it. And you're typically a whitetail guy who sits in a tree. You better go somewhere where you're going to get some stalks in because yeah. you're mostly going to fail every time. Right. You know, and if you yeah. don't have the time, you don't have the opportunities, like one stock every three days in a week long hunt doesn't freaking cut it. You're, you're going to fail almost guaranteed yeah yep and i've definitely done that so what everybody has yeah i mean you you just that that's just what happens i mean you, you think about that too with like you know you're gonna go on your first public land white tail hunt you're gonna bring your saddle i mean you're gonna uh, on 99 percent of your setups you're gonna fail yeah but it, as far as like killing a, a deer is concerned and it's like, okay, well, you got to go get those reps in because one of them is going to break your way if you keep doing it and you start learning some stuff. But it's just not easy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm excited, though, this upcoming season, man. I, I, I'll tell you this. I don't have one shooter on camera yet in here in Iowa. but uh, And that's not where my head's at right now. My head's out west uh, in mule deer territory, you know, white you know, if I see a good whitetail, I'll go after it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be picky, but uh, my head's not even in Iowa right now. I'm just hoping that, um, I'm just really hoping that I can get the, uh, get, get those stocks in out West and, and really yep. put the information that I've learned throughout all of the years into play. And hopefully, you know, success finds me more or less. Yep. Well, I mean, you're probably not, it's probably easier for you to sort of put Iowa on the back burner. Yeah. Because you know, you know, a big deer is going to show up. Like in, in your situation, you're going to have somebody to hunt who's going to get you pretty excited. Like they're, they're coming. Yeah. What's, what's not a guarantee is going out West and getting enough stocks in to stick an arrow through a mule deer. Right. That's like, there's a lot, a lot more question marks there than there is on your home ground Iowa stuff. Right. That's a fact. That is a fact. Well, we could sit here for another two hours and bullshit, but I think uh, we've done enough for today. So, Mr. Peterson, as always, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and, and hopping on and uh, chatting with us about how we're not probably going to shoot a big deer this year. <laughs> and that it's okay. And that it's okay. There you go. Yeah, that it's okay. <laughs> 
See, that was a weasel word toss it, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right at the end. That's that's my writer's heart. Uh, yeah, man, I always appreciate it. It's always fun to BS with you, buddy. Huge shout out to Tony. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Hunt Stand, and Vortex. If you guys haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. Would really appreciate it if you guys would go leave a review on uh, on the, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook. And other than that, make sure you guys are checking out all the content on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I uh, really appreciate that as well. Leave a review there too. And uh, last but not least, man, it's all about good vibes, positive energy, good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.